The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo on AM Live, turning the spotlight on the big issues and the people behind them. It's eight minutes after eight. It's a Monday and of course time now for the Forum at 8 here on AM Live on SAFM. An investigation into the slow pace of gender transformation in the judiciary has found that the pace of transformation has been really slow over the past 23 years. It says that even though there are more females graduating from university, fewer of those are in practice. The result is that there are very few females that can be nominated and successfully appointed into the judiciary. The Gender Equality uh, Commission, which conducted the research, has called for a national summit to discuss gender transformation in the judiciary and come up with practical resolutions and implementation plans on this particular matter. So this morning, uh, we're going to spend some time unpacking this report. And as always, if you'd like to uh, weigh in on the discussion, you can call us on 891 104 SMS us on 347 Tweet or Facebook, AM Live on SAFM. And joining us for the discussion, uh, Ms. Togon Pumulwana, who's Deputy Chairperson at uh, Gender Equality Commission. Good morning and thanks for your time. Good morning, Sakina. Thank you for having us. It's an absolute pleasure. And uh, Advocate Dumisa Sebeza, well, he's in the building, just uh, getting lost a little bit, but he'll be joining the discussion shortly. So um, I think that gives us a nice opportunity to actually um, speak about uh, this particular report. Um, what were the aims and objectives of this particular study? And what were the findings, Ms. Mpumulwana? Well, this study really was initiated uh, by civil society organizations complaining to us as well as the CGE itself monitoring the judiciary. We had been hearing lots of issues emerging from uh, practitioners themselves but also from the stakeholders in the industry, in the legal uh, industry, who were complaining that women are not moving fast enough in the, in the judiciary. Uh, just to give an example, I mean, in 1994, uh, there were 164 judges. Three of them were black male and two were white women. There was, there was no black woman. So you can imagine where we started from in 1994. So that needed people who are creative, people who will think fast, people who will really focus. And uh, so the commission then uh, uh, did a study and uh, we, we, we wrote to every aspect and every uh, organization and stakeholder that deals with trans- uh, the transformation in the judiciary, right up to the presidency, actually, to just get feedback on what plans they have um, towards ensuring that there's transformation in ju- judiciary and to make sure that women are escalated. Um, we can say there's progress. But uh, if we go at this pace, it will take another 20 years to reach the target, which is a normally accepted target of 50% of of women in the judiciary. So we are hoping uh, that things will will go well. Now, our our findings really the major one is that uh, we accept that this cannot just change overnight. We need. We need to take everyone on board, and we are thinking that uh, the major proposal is that let's have a summit where everybody will sit down and say, how can we fast-track transformation in South Africa?
especially black women, uh, because what we are hearing now is that higher education is actually churning out women. But now the bottleneck is them getting into the sector properly, women uh, being advocates, women getting enough briefs for them to get experience, and women acting as judges. Uh, and because you have to have enough experience and to act for you to be considered as a judge. Because there are certain standards that the uh, Judicial Services Commission use to evaluate suitability for candidates. Were you able to identify some of the barriers to transformation uh, that make it so difficult for women uh, to actually rise to the levels that they aspire to? Yes. Um, some of the barriers were, that were mentioned to us were that, um, one, women um, uh, are not being fast-tracked as advocates. So... Um, the, 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 the bar council itself has to take responsibility for that. Um, and so that's one. And secondly, that um, even when, especially in the private sector, you know, the private uh, companies um, are not really as committed as the public sector to transformation. For them, um, you come in, you play the game in the way we used to play it. So the, the conditions, the climate within the, the, the sector itself is highly patriarchal. One woman was using an example that, look, um, you have to work um, long, long hours. And if you don't have a car, um, you are seen as, as a person who's not worth being promoted. Um, in the private sector because they'll give you cases and they give you tight deadlines and yet you can't always work at the office. You have to take a taxi, not just one taxi. If you live in Soweto and you you are in one of the companies in Santon or in Johannesburg, at some point you must go home, otherwise it becomes dangerous for you. And um, those are some of the issues. Other uh, uh, issues we, that came to our attention is that the climate itself is that women are put there really as window dressers. The real work is done elsewhere. They, they are just there because the numbers are important. But there isn't a serious commitment to the bigger picture of equality of women and transformation in the judiciary. So we just found that uh, whether we, we, we do this as the CGE, if we force the situation will still not change the, 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 we may have the numbers, but women may find that the climate is not good for them. We want the numbers, definitely, no doubt about it. But we still have to make sure when women get there, they are used to the ut- ut- utmost of their creativity and their potential and their abilities and ex- given enough exposure and experience for them but also to be taken to given briefs, because unless you are given a brief, uh, even by the state, we want to see more women and more black women being given briefs and huge briefs for them to get the experience to be ready to be in the judiciary as well. 
And as I'd indicated, advocate uh, Dumisan Seveza is here now. Thank you so much for coming through this morning. Thank you for having me. So, uh, Ms. Mpumulwana was just uh, speaking to us about the aims, the objectives of the study and, you know, outlining for some of the perceptions uh, that exist as well. And uh, very worryingly, as she uh, uh, highlights there in her last input that, you know, women are sometimes seen as, you know, some window dressing exercise when it comes uh, to this particular industry. Why are women not prioritized in the legal fraternity? I I don't think it is accurate to say they are not prioritized. I think they are taken as serious candidates for judicial appointment as any other um, candidates are. Um, I, well, I have the disadvantage of never, not having had the uh, the context in which uh, Mrs. Mpumulwana was, was addressing the subject, but I think I'll, I'll catch up. Perhaps the place to start it is is to see what the position was in 1994. Um, um, there were only two females who were judges in 1994, and that's just about 22 years ago. Mm. Uh, <laughs> and uh, one was in the appellate division, that now today called the SCA, and one was in the Western Cape. Uh, and were both of them white females. Uh, so that the preponderance of the numbers is, is reflected that in 1994 there were majority white males in the judiciary. Now the statistics in this inquiry, I mean in these investigations, now show that um, the numbers have risen, not just as judicial officers but also as leaders in the in the judicial i mean in the uh, in the judiciary uh, in the free state the fe- the judge president is a female in the northwest judge president is a female and uh, in um, in limpompo the deputy judge president is a female so whilst there is always room to for improvement in these things um, i don't think uh, we have done badly mm. given do yeah. you think there are um, a sufficient number of women being uh, fast-tracked into being advocates, as uh, Ms. Pumulwana was saying earlier, that this is something that she feels the Bar Council needs to take responsibility for? Well, the Bar Council doesn't brief anybody. We are just in the, in the, in the Bar. And uh, in order for us to uh, hone our skills, we need to have work. And work comes... Uh, largely from government, the greatest consumer of any services in this country, whatever the services are, is government. But uh, government has not done what government has been urged by an organization like mine, the Advocates for Transformation, to do what it has to do. There have been token, you know, indications that they are going in the right direction. But as I say in one debate in which the Minister of Justice was also a participant, I, I don't see the problem. Because in 15 years as an attorney or in 17 years, if you count the two years I was a candidate attorney, we had a system in terms of every black advocate anywhere in the country, whenever that advocate qualified, we put them on the roster. 
of course we operated from a, from a, operating from a Bandustan and therefore you know we're an, an independent country so every work was done from Mumtata every work and uh, we had a lot of work well in my office we had political work and and as a consequence most of the advocates who have now shot to prominence I can tell you now, most of the judges in the Constitutional Court used to get work from us. Most of the leading senior counsel, black senior counsel, were beneficiaries of that kind of an approach. So (laughs) if our government simply took the view that we need to increase the number of black uh, practitioners who get work from us, or female black practitioners, especially African black practitioners, if they just took and they said, look, these are the people who are going to make sure we train. It's it's a 10-year project. Mm. But what about uh, systemic issues, uh, systemic issues that are rooted in the rules, the practices, the stereotypes within the sector itself? Uh, don't those also contribute to, um, you know, the pace, the slow pace at which females are being absorbed and fast-tracked? Of course they do. You will recall that the legal profession was always regarded as a profession in which females are not competent to be. Mm. I think in South Africa, as late as 1926 or thereabouts, I'm not so sure about the date, but it was just illegal, not just <laughs> it was illegal for women to uh, to be trained as lawyers, uh, and we know that's a that's a function of patriarchy, mm. and that's a function of the stereotyping of women as less endowed than men. And uh, I can tell you now, I mean, you can count the number of silks senior counsel on any bar in South Africa in spite of the fact that we are committed to you know progressive realization of equality and all of that it just doesn't exist so i think there is there is something to be said about about that being a problem but then the question is who must take the initiative i am saying just like msenega says this is only liberator then females must take the lead of course, other organizations like my organization, the Advocates for, uh, you know, for Transmission, we, we have begun to take the lead in, in making the call. I mean, every time I get an interview, and uh, that's why I grabbed this interview <laughs> with both hands. <laughs> and, and I'm glad you did because I think it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really uh, getting excited about all the issues that are being raised, Ms. Mbulwana, as well. Because, yeah, let's talk about females taking the lead and how do they actually then go about dismantling, you know, some of these entrenched patriarchal practices and, and, and whether it is equally incumbent upon men to make sure that those are dismantled. This morning on the Forum at 8, we are unpacking a report uh, that looked into the slow pace of gender transformation in the judiciary. And it found that the pace has been really, really slow over the past uh, 22 years. And even though more females are graduating from university, there are fewer of them actually in practice. So what does all of this mean? What needs to be done? And we're speaking this morning to Advocate Dumisa Ntsebeza, uh, spokesperson for the Judicial Service Commission, 
and Ms. Togo Mpumulwana from the Gender Equality Commission. So what are your views on this? 0891-104-208. And uh, we'll also take your comments on 34701. Tweet or Facebook us at AMLive on SAFM. And uh, Ms. Mpumulwana, let's come back to that question about who needs to take what steps in order to address this issue more immediately? It seems to us as a commission, that's why we're calling for a summit, seems to us that there are different levels. There's a systemic institutional, there's first an institutional culture level that actually needs all institutions to think like uh, the advocate who's, on, who's with me, advocate Mr. Leza is speaking, that look, we need to transform. We need to transform our, ourselves. If in, 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 in 1994 the, 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 the judiciary or the, it was assumed that women could not be uh, seriously considered, especially black women and black males, were being done a favor. They had to be organized somewhere in, in, in homelands. That means we all really have to ask ourselves fundamental questions when we're in the judiciary and if we make appointments, how can we transform our institution? How can, how can if I have a law firm, how can I make a conscious decision if I'm white or even if I'm black, a black male, uh, how can I make sure that I get women? And when they are there, I give them enough briefings, I give them enough exposure, I give them enough uh, mentoring so that they, they get in and they work fast. A sense of urgency for all of us to, to have transformation. Because that transformation may even then transform the culture. Uh, we know that uh, uh, it is a very... A aggressive, a patriarchal type of culture, which may not always work uh, with uh, people who want conciliation sometimes. So how do we train people not to just get into the culture, but also transform the culture into a different way of working? And so that is what we need. Government must come on board, as, to, as Advocate Nzeleza is saying, that uh, when briefings are given, that's, that's got to be a bottom line that says we can't always use those who have been there before uh, and not ask fundamental questions about briefings. In our report, we found that every time, they, uh, most of the time, briefings are given and women are put in, but there will always be a white person just in case we lose our case, you know, let's have a, 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 a white person backing up. And, and so how, uh, how far are we going to go with that lack of trust of capacities of women in, in our country? And so the private sector as well must come with it, must take responsibility uh, that these major companies we have in the private sector, we must see women emerging even as partners, even as CEOs of those companies and uh, so that we, because they are there. We just need to find them, expose them, and let them play a critical role in, in the sector. And, of course, once that happens, we'll have enough pool for a JSC not to find themselves uh, having to always uh, choose uh, three women out of many that came in in the interviews 
simply because they think they are not suitable. Of course, they also must probably relook the rules they put in place. Are they sufficient to resolve the problem we have? Advocate Nsebeza? Yeah, well, I, I, I cannot agree with my, with my chairman more. Uh, Mrs. Mpumlwane is my chairman in the Foundation for Human Rights. And I'll blame her for not having read that report because that, I was at her board meeting. But <laughs> without, being, <laughs> without being facetious about it, I think it is true. And I like the fact that she's raised the question of the private sector. Because the private sector, they must take also the responsibility. They are, can only be good corporate citizens if they, you know, um, dispel this myth that capabilities are commensurate with skin color. It's a, it's a fiction. Mm. You know, everyone, every practitioner that I'm aware of in whatever field, but talking about the legal practice, I mean the, the, the legal field, one is as good as one's brief. You know, uh, if you if you have a difficult case, of course, you know the manner in which you approach it and you deal with it will probably till the skills. Mm. Uh, and if it tilt the, tills the skills, it is a, a testimony to you having had experience. Uh, most of the people who now come across as though they do their briefs or they do their arguments, make their arguments as a, by way of magic, is because, A, they have the experience, and B, they, they have had practice. And, of course, experience comes with practice. And you cannot get experience if you don't get work. Today we are talking about uh, the slow pace of gender transformation in the judiciary. What are your views about this? 34701, love to hear from women uh, who are particularly affected by this. Uh, what, is, uh, you know, uh, what is your experience in this space? And then I see um, you know, some of the problems uh, thought to often be highlighted by some of the female attorneys listed here as the lack of proper mentorship and equal power, the need... Uh, for work in order to mentor others, LLB degrees not equipping them with sufficient skills, uh, women are not given the opportunity to practice because of a lack of opportunity, and women not willing to go through the nomination process again when they are unsuccessful the first time. And then that's quite interesting, but of course, I'd love to hear your views on all of this. 0891-104-208. Our guest this morning, uh, Mastogo Mpumulwana, who's a uh, Deputy Chairperson of the Gender Equality Commission and also Advocate Dumisa Sebeza, Spokesperson for the Judicial Services Commission. 891 Good morning. Good morning, Sakina, to your guest. Let me first say, I'm not, uh, I don't work in this particular industry in question, but I work very closely with other industries where transformation is a burning issue. What, what are finding, uh, findings now is the following. If you look at the private sector, you've got a board, in a, a company now, you've got a board, then you've got a, a CEO, then you have executives. The board is the one that instructs the CEO, look, this is the type of transformation we want, this is the quota, and these are your deadlines. It is then the responsibility of that CEO or to transform his own organization and report back to the, to the board. In the public sector, we can't find where the responsibility lies because there are so many duplications of people who seems not to have 
to be taking the proper responsibility as well as not clear who is this individual that must report report to who in terms of how this industry must be transformed. And secondly, uh, at least the difference is if you look at other industries where this is an issue uh, in relation to to law, etc., etc., uh, there was a lot of traction that was built by black companies even during the apartheid era. And it is those companies who must now be prioritized to do business with government in order to bring this capacitation, bring this transformation into their own law firms. But you can only bring capacitation when there are resources. And the resources is the issue because these black companies seem not to be finding traction or, or, or be prioritized by government to do business with government in order to have that uh, organic flow of transformation, etc., etc. Thank you so much, Mzwandile. Let's go to Durban now. Good morning, Salim. Good morning, Sakina. I think it's a very interesting topic, and I think there's something that needs to be done. You know, South African ladies have proven to be the best in the world. For example, we had Judge Nevedon Pillay. She was served the UN. We have Ponsile that's serving the UN. I think what we need to do, we need to give more chances to the ladies. See, Advocate Tuli has proven to be an outstanding person. We have a young lady in Durban, Sarnath Khan, a jurist, that is so outstanding. We need to start identifying and recognizing these people and put them into places where they will excel. They are not given the chance, and I think we need to do more to give them a chance. Thank you so much, Salim. Faisal, you're also in Durban. Good morning. You know, uh, I think women... The biggest problem is women do not support women. Uh, women never march down the street when there's a rape case. You find very few women. You see the, the, the soccer and the cricket matches that women play. Women don't support women. So the problem is if women support women, they are the majority. Uh, they're having a problem in sports uh, because they need to become professional and they need uh, the funds and all those kind of things. They can call the shots because they are the majority. The sponsors know that. If women power is, is, is very, very big, so if they come out to support themselves, then it would make a difference. Don't wait for the men to, to transform the genders and all those kind of things. You need to come out and support yourselves. Okay. Thank you so much, uh, Faisal in Durban. I'm not sure it's as simple as all of that, as simple as Faisal is making it out to be of women simply supporting women. Because uh, just reading through this, if you uh, look at it, uh, there's a point that I highlighted here. If you're a woman and you have to go, you have to go on a cause to become a judge, but a man can simply serve as an acting judge and apply for the job. So, so, so it's not just about women supporting women. It's about women being afforded the opportunities. It's about changing those entrenched systemic, you know, discriminating factors within the system in order to ensure that women don't have such a difficult path to traverse. Advocate Zebeza? Well, <coughs> Uh, sometimes you are uh, damned if you do, you, then you are damned if you don't. Let's first dispel this fiction that there was a specially arranged program for the training of women. Mm. But let's assume that it is correct in the manner in which it was presented. Was it wrong if, for instance, the judiciary found that there is a gap and 
there is a method that could be adopted to fasten the pace of training a, a, you know, a sector of the judiciary that was lagging behind. And we have a specialized training period for, 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 for women judges. I couldn't find that there was anything wrong with that. But to the extent that it would be stereotyping women and making women, you know, appear as though they need a specialized course. Mm. I'm sure a number of male judges would take advantage of a specialized course where judicial officers are given an opportunity to get training. I mean, the Justice Center has been training magistrates throughout time for as long as I remember. And those magistrates were never trained because they are females. Everyone who is a magistrate who wants to take advantage of that course would be trained. But clearly it seems to have created a perception that indeed women needed you know, to be brought up to speed, as it were. Well, if we accept the historical <clears throat> fact that females, not because of any, <laughs> uh, any you know, um, disability on their part, the fact of the matter is that females have come late in the day into not just judicial training, into legal training. And therefore, there have to be methods, redress methods that are embarked upon. Yes, if they it created the perception, then I suppose it was an unfortunate perception because, as Archbishop Desmond Tudor would say, perceptions are facts to those who believe them. Mm. But if people began to look at it from, from what it was seeking to achieve, then people would, would, would understand. That's why I say, as far as I'm concerned, I had always understood that judicial training was available to any practitioner. But if it was to fast track the training of female practitioners for all of the reasons that we have indicated, including the fact that they are not getting any practical training as practitioners because they don't get work. And, and and that's the other burning issue, you know, that, that, that has to be addressed. But let me bring uh, Ms. Mpumulwana in here. <laughs> yes, I think uh, the issue here is that um, the difficulty of transformation is that there will also be people who feel that, you know what, have been trained and trained and trained and trained and nothing comes out of this training I'm getting. And so it's got to be training that is structured enough, almost a value chain type of training that shows the results. And I must say, I want to repeat what I said earlier, uh, agreeing with Advocate Sebeza, where we were in 94 and where we are now, that we have at least 30%. But we're not there yet because where we really want is 50%. Mm. And of that, if you break down on racial uh, grounds, the situation may even be worse. And so we just need to be vigilant at all times to ensure that uh, 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 women are not trained to tick the boxes, mm. but are trained for real transformation for them to begin to play the role they ought to be playing. It should not be, I think we all accept, uh, and the CGE has been doing a lot of transformation hearings and working with the Employment Equity Commission, even in the workplace, in other fields of work, that the way we implemented employment equity 
got skewed somehow because we all must accept we, 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 we did not focus on gender. We focused a lot on race. And so, and when we focused on race, it then became the advantage of African males, black males, and white women. Mm. And so, as we, as we were looking at the statistics, as the gender commission, we said, hold, this is now skewing the 50 so percent are women in South Africa, majority of whom are women, and the higher education is beginning to give us young black women uh, uh, who are trained in law. And therefore, so what is going to happen to them? And you meet lots of them who will be working, have never had an experience to work as lawyers in courts, uh, getting briefs, and so on. And therefore, it's very important that we just need to pick a bit as we try to undo the legacy of the past. And so it is not really a blame game. It's a matter of saying, how can we come together to just correct the rights and move forward as we transform our nation, to give every child and every person an opportunity to serve where they can save this. Mm. But also, just to add to that, um, and, and looking at what some of your um, respondents actually said, female judges, when they do get the opportunity, said that they felt resented, they felt invisible, and they felt excluded by male judges and lawyers. Well, is that uh, in the context of interviews? Or uh, is it in the context of... Uh, I don't know what the context of... Ms. Mpumulwana can perhaps help us here. It was in the context of interviews, but also uh, uh, the interesting thing is that it is the interviews we did, the interviews that Carl did, and uh, the feedback we are getting in some of the, uh, uh, the, the conversations we have with women in the sector. Mm. Um, there was a, 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 a SAULA, South African Women in Law Conference, where some of these issues still emerged. That look, it is a rough space. Uh, sometimes uh, the gentlemen who are used to playing golf, you know what I mean? Uh, mm-hmm. the, the sector is a male sector. They will make no. a simple thing. Can you make tea for us? You are supposed to be their mm-hmm. colleague. But it doesn't occur to them that they are stereotyping you <laughs> when they say make uh, tea for us wow. because uh, it just doesn't uh. make and it irritates some of the sisters as and well. It should. It should it irritate. irritate them, uh, and it may not only be judges; it may also be advocates. It may also be in a law firm. You are a trained person here. You pass together with this intern who comes in here as an article clerk. But this male article clerk seems to be given more attention than It's a natural thing that we have to undo in, in the psyche that we have as society. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, <laughs> I think in the end, um, what our society should look at when it comes to redressing, because this is about redress. You know, mm-hmm. the Equality Clause, Section 9, makes provision for the advancement of certain categories of people. Mm. 
mm-hmm. in order to achieve equality. What one must happen, must, must not happen, is a discrimination that is unfair. Um, discrimination per se is not unfair if it is intended to achieve equality. So if we discriminate against white people in this sector, we have to say it is justified because look at what the judiciary was. 167 male judges in, uh, <laughs> in 1994 were all white. Not only white, they were male. Cannot be what South Africa in a post-apartheid democracy should be. You can't dispense to a black majority population mm. uh, justice by a white majority bench. It's, it's just not on. It cannot be democratic on any, you know, uh, you know, imagination of what democracy should be. I think what we need here <clears throat> is to strike a proper balance between, on the one hand, progressive, you know, um, empowerment of women in the sector and avoiding to stereotype women by tokenizing their recommendation to the president. And that's why, therefore, if you look at 174, 1 and 2 in the Constitution, 1 speaks to appropriate qualifications. It does not, it would not work to uh, recommend an engineer who has never done any law studies to the president for judicial appointment. That's why, therefore, the the first 174, 1 addresses appropriate qualifications. And then the next, and then fit and proper, then that is where you weigh in with other criteria that you build into what is it that, you know, judicial temperament and what have you. And then that is where then we must say, what is the potential? Given that this person, A, she's black, she's female, and she has been disadvantaged over time. But in the interview which has to be tough for everybody because I, I've heard similar things that said by white males. White males need no longer apply because, you know, what's the point of applying? Because when once you are there, you get humiliated, you get subjected to everything, and, you know, and all of that. They ask questions that are meaning to demean you and all of that. There's not, you know, what the judicial service commissioners have a task to do is to make sure, to the extent that you can always make sure Mm. that whoever is recommended to the president for judicial appointment is a person who, because they are going to wield so much power, power of life and death, are people who understand that they are going to deal with the marginalized, the poor, the, you know, the unable. For the most part, because that's that's the you know that's the demographics of our country, and and therefore that they have the right temperament, they have the right disposition. That is the one side of fit and proper. But in terms of appropriate qualification, that they even if they have not been in practice for as long as other you know white practitioners have been, even if they have not been exposed to the kind of work that white practitioners usually are. But they have the potential to grow in the and that is why most most I mean the the president, the president of the Supreme Court of Appeal, was one of those advocates in the Eastern Cape who didn't get as much work 
as some other white practitioners in the Eastern Cape did. But look at what he became. He became one of the best presidents that we could have in the Supreme Court of Appeal. So is Mwepe. So are all other people who rose from the ranks. So also is the female judge president now. Most of the people who competed with her did not have, I mean, had experience far more than she had in practice. But because she, in the interview, came across to us as a person who understands what the values of our constitution are, what they seek to achieve, but she had leadership, you know, qualities as well, then we felt this is the person. Well, I wonder what you're making of all of this. You know, has there been a light bulb moment for you in all of this? Do you, would you consider now, knowing what you know, um, you know, actually giving some work to uh, black females, especially within uh, this particular profession? Because it is clear this morning that it's, work is hard to come by. Uh, but uh, also, <laughs> no advocate in service. <laughs> this morning on the Forum at 8, we are looking at uh, the slow pace of gender transformation in the judiciary. What are your views? 0891-104-208. Mr. Mlambo is calling us from Ferienaheng. Thanks for your time, Mr. Mlambo. Hello. Good morning, Satina. Welcome. Okay. Yeah, I just want to say on that one there, you know, sometimes there are some of the women who are more capable than men. But this issue of saying women... It's just as if we are just painting all the women with the same brush. So I just needed to make an example. If I can find, uh, during when I was an apprentice, my, I mean, my, my mentor was so serious on me, and I could follow it. And I even practiced, there was some female, I mean, who are in the ESCOM. I taught them exactly, uh, and now they are on top of it. But now the main problem is, Sometimes when you employ or the name female, it mustn't be the first. We have to use the experience, the capability, not use the female. So now what I'm trying to say, let's make men, let's make, I mean, European and African, as well as, I mean, our South African of Indian origin, when they apply, they mustn't use that thing of saying black. You know, I was trying to run away from the word black. I prefer it saying African or an Indian or a European. So the moment you make your application, there is no rest. When there is no rest, you know exactly you are hired on performance, not on rest. There is no female as well. If once there is a female, because now the statistics there, they say we want so many females. And these females have been changed. As long as there is a statistic, we want so many, which means we want to the people to be computing on the fair basis irrespective, irrespective of their gender, irrespective of their, I mean, uh, race, so that it will be fair. But now, for instance, you can go to any, if you have been a schoolboy or if you have been at the college, you can see how people are being manipulated, even on the work environment. Some mm. of the men that are even called the scuff king boy. No, these women, they want to use gender to get almost everything. So let's try and get rid of gender, rid of race, so there's no white and black in our eyes, there's no men and women, because they are really capable women who are upside there, who are outside. Mr. Mlambo, I couldn't agree, yeah. I couldn't 
disagree with you more strongly than I do right now. Because, yeah. you know, the, the scenario that you are painting here right now is one that suggests that we are all moving off the same a level playing field, and we are not. These are the realities that we are faced with. goes back to the point that Advocate Nsebeza was making earlier about sometimes um, when you have to discriminate to bring about equality. So what I was trying to say here, when we train the people, let's train them equally. Then we see who excels. Because now we will end up disposing all the best people and trying now the productivity rate will reduce. Because okay. all the best people capable are disposed because of using gender or using race. I mean, as I mean, African or as a European, we do have people with talent, but we mustn't use race or gender to discriminate people. That is what I'm saying. That's Mr. Mlambo in Ferienaheng. Let me read some of the messages. Uh, this one says, women are not aggressive. The previous public protector admitted to have been too soft on President uh, uh, Jacob Zuma. Judge Masipa gave Pastore six years for murder. That's from Skumba Charles. San says, uh, this is a very simple issue. How many women have called or sent messages regarding these issues? Um, you can only change this if women show an interest. They are expecting free handouts and they must be vocal and show an interest. Hule says uh, when women need lawyers themselves, the majority appoint male lawyers, often white. Why is that? Is it due to skills? Frank says unless the economy grows, not enough work is available to create opportunities for proper transformation without dismissing men. And this one says I've been a non-practicing black female attorney for 17 years. My senior exec, a black male, speaks contemptuously of black practitioners, saying they are incompetent, even forgetting that he is also painting himself with that same brush. Mm. Mrs. Mpumulwana? Yes, indeed. I think I would like to first start with the gentleman from Serenichel and say to him that uh, it is actually unfortunate that uh, we, this is exactly what the Gender Commission is about, to say, and the Constitution makes it very clear that we are all equal before the law. And as we are equal before the law, we don't want to use our gender as women. All we are saying is that things have been skewed in the past. Let's correct the mistakes we made in the past. And let's correct the mistakes we've made in the past 20 years as well to make sure that we don't down the line find ourselves having made mistakes and not made people conscious of the ingrained sexism and patriarchy that they have that makes them believe women are not good enough. We all have enough role to play to build this nation. Women are not aggressive. Um, it's, it's a non-issue. The issue here is people must play a role on the basis of the fact that they've got the skills and they must be given the experience and the exposure for them to participate. You may have the skills, but if you have not been given enough exposure as advocates, clearly states, in the in the in the in the, in, the, in this sector, you will simply struggle, and therefore that's why we have these recommendations that we have. Women should show interest. Women are showing interest. That's why so many are graduating, and so many uh, are waiting in the wings. And so uh, I, 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 we 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 insist that all we are trying to do here is to 
make our constitution a living document. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Lizwe Njani says, uh, if we don't talk about gender when it comes to development, then we will be widening gender inequality. Uh, at Common Man says, it's a mindset, patriarchy. Remember some judge uh, who said women advocates love BMWs and thus uh, they can't be mentored. He said that on TV. Um, Matthews Ntanzi says, what irks me is that our government briefs white advocates who just... Uh, uh, um, got called to the bar in 2005 uh, versus a senior, uh, seasoned black advocates. And Sabelo Ndenze says, if people like uh, President Zuma and his cabinet do not use the services of black advocates, how can they make changes in the judiciary? Advocate Nsebeza? Yeah, no, that's very true. <clears throat> well, I mean, look, time is running out. But if we, if we proceeded on the basis of what Mlambo says that we must not take into account race and gender. Then I can tell you now, we would be where we were in 1994. Because what is very interesting is that at every session, not at every, you know, JSC, at every session of the JSC, there is not one session at which white males were not employed, in spite of that, you know. And, and yet that is the area where attrition should have taken place the most. It can then it shows that, you know, the JSCs over time, over the years, were quite conscious of the fact that they should not tokenize gender, they should not tokenize race, but they had a duty to bring the redress component of the equality clause of the constitution, and therefore advance categories or certain people precisely because it is the right thing to do, and that's why our appeal is government, private sector. You must understand you know, that this is not something that is a nice to do. It is something that is demanded, A, by the values of our constitution, but by the historical imperative. There will come a time when it will be too late to do this. Mm. And therefore, the time is now. I look personally forward to a time when I will have a Homutso Moroka, who is a senior uh, advocate than I am. She got silk before I did. When she will lead me in a case at which I will accept that she is the leader because she provides thought leadership as well. Well, unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there. A society that we live in, a society that it's steeped in racism and sexism. I mean, it was inevitable that this would permeate throughout all the sectors, these yeah. particular problems. But thank you so much for your time this morning. Our guests, Advocate Dumisa Nsebeza and uh, Mrs. Togo Pumulwana, and of course to our listeners and the production team. It is just after nine. Time for news with Nomsam Zuli.